So we did invite uh, you to consider who you could invite to come to Alpha this winter. And we had those invitations in the worship guide last week. I think there's some more at the Connections kiosk on the service if you need a few more of those. And we're looking forward to who you could bring, who you could invite to come on this journey of exploration of the bigger questions within life. If you are talking to somebody, if there's somebody yourself or somebody you know who is interested in coming, maybe they haven't quite committed yet, but they're, they're a maybe, they're a strong maybe, let us know. Give us a heads up, even even today, at, there'll be a kiosk in the foyer there, you can stop by, uh, Nadine will be there, and I think Heather might be there as well, to, uh, to talk to you, and just to give us a heads up of how many we can potentially expect, because on that first night, we're going to be serving dinner, and as you know, when you have people coming over for dinner, it's nice to have an idea of how large your group is going to be, so we asked if you could give us a hand with that. Uh, you can register at the kiosk, you can register online for Alpha, or simply call myself or call the office and we will uh, take that information from you there or from any friends or family that you are inviting. Well, last week, if you're with us, we launched into a new sermon series that we are calling Ready, Set, Go as we start this new year. And we're talking about uh, this move towards our new Mission Vision Values series, which will be presented in just a couple of weeks. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk for a couple of weeks about what is of most primary concern for us. The, the central focus of, of where we want our hearts and our minds to be set upon, and that being the kingdom of God. And that while it is vitally important for us to have a great church, and we're going to keep working to continue to have a, an ever-improving, growing, stronger church, the kingdom of God is actually the ultimate purpose for which we as, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you're currently a follower of Christ, or if you're part of this church, the kingdom of God is ultimately the goal to which we're looking to promote and, and grow. So we start by asking the question, well, what is the kingdom of God? Is it, sometimes we hear the word kingdom and our mind goes to these images of like, of like moats and walls and a castle in the middle and, and a geographical location. Is that what we're talking about when we talk about a kingdom? And as we talked last week, it's, it's not so much. When we use the word kingdom in the terms of God's kingdom, we're talking about his right, of his authority to have sovereign reign over all of creation. It's that right to have sovereign reign over all creation from near to far, from the small to the grand. He is sovereign over all. And in his sovereignty, he is also permitted, and, and we've experienced some of this a bit too, he's permitted some other kingdoms to exist at this time as well. Some other kingdoms that are lesser in influence and lesser in power, and they're at times even contrary to his will. But the day will come when all those kingdoms will be defeated. When all those kingdoms will cease to exist. No other kingdoms but his will reign. And we know that that's a future reality when, when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that will exist and never be defeated and be with us eternally. Now when Jesus came in, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we read that when Jesus came, the first words he speaks is, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. Now people of the time thought that's what was Jesus was referring to to this physical, political kingdom that was about to appear. But it wasn't. You see, what he was referring to, and we covered this last week, if you missed it, you can go back to uh, westmeadows.org, or you can subscribe to us at iTunes or on Google Play to listen to the video. You can even watch the video and, uh, and, and see what we're talking about in more detail. But what Jesus was actually talking about when he said the kingdom of God had come near, is he was saying, you know, there are some places in this world where these other kingdoms are allowed to reign. One of those places where these other kingdoms are permitted to reign at times is in the heart, within the human heart. 
And Jesus was saying the kingdom of God has come near, meaning the kingdom of God has now come near to the point where it can be personally known, experienced, and can reign in your heart. We know that this is a problem. If we're honest, we look at ourselves as people. We, we know that the human heart left to its own devices it doesn't always choose the things of God. The human heart left to itself has a tendency to become jealous, to become selfish, to have moments of hatred and anger. It has this, this propensity towards pride. That's the human heart left on its own. And Jesus was saying the kingdom of God has come near. That doesn't have to be the kingdom that rules in your heart. But God's kingdom can rule in there now. And the entrance into that kingdom, he, he said, was to acknowledge that you need a different ruler. That, that Jesus is the means through which we can enter into that kingdom of God. And if we will place our trust in him, and if we will turn from the other kingdoms to the kingdom of God, that he will come in and will enter into that. And in that moment, a transformation happens where we have this new kingdom identity as we become citizens of God's kingdom. And as citizens, we are then sent as people on mission from the king to this world to invite others to understand that they too are invited to be part of that family. That's what we talked a bit about last week on what it means to be ready for the kingdom. Now, if we're ready for the kingdom, if we're going to then start living for the kingdom, what we're going to talk about today is our need to have our minds set upon the kingdom. So what does that mean to have our minds set upon? Well, let me explain it to you this way. You see, it's, it's one thing for God to perform a work in us. He looks after that. That's something that happens to us at that moment of profession. But if we're genuine and sincere in that confession of faith, that, starts to, that transformation starts to happen within us, but we also need to make the conscious decision to join Him in what He's doing. We need to say, if this is the new reality, the new citizenship of which I have, then I need to recalculate I need to reorientate some aspects of my life to match that new reality, to match that confession. It, it's kind of like a lot of us have GPSs. Now, most of us, these are phones now. We have Google Maps and things like that. But if you go back 10 years ago when GPSs started to show up, remember you would you'd put them on your dashboard. They had like a little suction cup. They'd stick on the dashboard. you plug them in your cigarette lighter, and they, they would map where you needed to go. Now, if you ran into a problem, you had a button on there. It said detour. It, it said recalculate, something like that, and it would find another route. It's something similar to that, that that we need to do. I used to have one of these. Now, I, I like to believe that I know where I'm going on a regular basis, so I didn't use it very often. But I did like to use my, I had a TomTom. I liked to use it when I go on long trips, not because I didn't know the way, but because it gave me stats, and guys like stats, right? I, I like to know where I am on the road, where I am uh, in, in the length of journey. I like to know my average speed, and I love to know my maximum speed, which it gave me my maximum speed. Whenever Nadine was sleeping, I would go for the high score, and we would make wonderful time. I was on it. Well, there was this one time that we were traveling from Edmonton to Kelowna, where my parents used to live, and I had the GPS on, not because I didn't know where I was going. We had made this trip probably two dozen times over the years. It main highways, Edmonton, Calgary, you go through Banff, you go through Golden, all the way probably made the trip yourself, maybe even. Main highways. Well, we get outside Calgary in the summertime, and as you know, when you hit construction on that road between Calgary and Banff, it backs up for miles. And so I thought, hey, here's a chance to use my GPS. So a little button, calculate. So I hit the detour, the reroute button, and it's thinking, it's recalculating, 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 calculating. And it comes up, and it shows me a map. 
And it says, just a little bit up ahead, if you hang off the road, there's a side road that goes along the freeway. I thought, this is awesome. I've got this tool. It's going to show me the side road to get around the construction, and then I'm going to get ahead of all these people, and away we go on the rest of our trip. So I start following it. It is on the narrowest road you can imagine. Nowhere to stop. Nowhere to turn around. And after about a half hour of following this road, my frustration builds to the point where I'm thinking, where is this taking me? And so I, 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 I play with the screen until I get a full map of the entire route. It has decided to route me from Calgary. It's going to take me from Calgary down south into Montana to Idaho, Washington, and then north back to Kelowna. I was furious. I thought, this is the dumbest way to get to Kelowna. And so I contemplated taking that thing off my dash, rolling down my window, and chucking it out. But I didn't. I did, a few years later, throw it out a 10-story window in Disneyland. But that's another story for another day. So I left it on there. And now, I didn't know until the time. It was a couple of days later I figured out what was happening. So here's what happened. Before the trip, Josh at the time was just a young guy, fascinated with electronics. So I gave him it to play with. Josh got into the settings and said, whenever you want to route your map, avoid all major cities and avoid all major highways. So it did its job. It did do its job. It found a, a route that would take me from where I was to where I needed to get with no major cities and no major highways. I'm not sure how we were going to cross the border, but it found a back road <laughs> that would get us across the border somehow. So here's the thing. It wasn't an issue of faulty programming. It wasn't a problem of, of a faulty route. It got me to my destination. What was the problem? I didn't like the route that it chose. But I also didn't know there was other data, there was other factors behind the scene that were going into the route that it had chosen. You see, my mindset was upon things like, I know the best way. I know how to get there. I know how to do it. Based upon what I can see, what I can do, what I can control, I know how to get there. But there was more going on than I was aware of. And I had a choice. Where was I going to place my faith? Where was I going to place my focus? See, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we have these same challenges and these same opportunities. We can have our mindset upon the things of this world, upon the things that we can see, what we know, what we can control, what we prefer, what our preferences are. We can have our mindset upon those things, or we can reorientate it based upon the decision that we entered into to come in to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We can reorientate our faith. We can reorientate our focus to be upon the things of Jesus and upon his kingdom. Paul wrote about this when he was writing a letter to the followers of Jesus in the church of Colossae. We see this in Colossians in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, where he puts it this way. He says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things above, not upon earthly things. When he's talking here about this, this being raised with Christ, he's referring back to this moment in a person's life where they placed their trust in Jesus and, and became citizens of God's kingdom. And, and there's this identification that happens between us and Jesus. And, and it has to do with the means by which we can become citizens, where as Jesus went to the cross to, to give his life, to pay the price for the sins that we have that keeps us separated from God, as Jesus went and dealt with that upon the cross, 
and then died and was buried, but then rose victorious on the third day, having defeated sin and death. You see, when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when we allow God to reign in our heart and in our lives, we become associated with Jesus Christ as we die to the old life and are alive to the new life with Jesus, thereby saying that we are raised with Christ, we are associated with his victory over sin and death. And in that moment, all things in our minds have the opportunity to become new. See, if we were serious about that confession of faith, if we were serious about that association, it makes a difference in our thoughts and our values and in the goals that we have in life. Paul's essentially saying in this passage, he's saying, don't just shuffle along with your eyes to the ground, absorbed in what's in front of you. It's kind of like, you ever seen those people who walk through the malls or down sidewalks texting? Just walking and texting, you've probably seen these. They're hazards to everybody, just narrowly missing poles, tripping over fire hydrants. See, as they're walking down the road, they have this limited vision of what's going on in the world around them. They're completely fixed upon what is in front of them. And whatever message is on that screen they're replying to, it doesn't mean the message isn't important. It could be a very important business discussion. It could be something happening to a family member. It, it, it doesn't just have to be just, you know, funny emoticons and, and nonsense, things like that. It could be a very important message, but the point is, as they're walking, they're so narrowly focused upon this one self-interested thing that they miss everything else going on around them to the point where they're actually a danger at times to others as well. And what does Paul say? If it feels like your spiritual journey is this, he's saying, lift up your eyes to see what's going on around you. In this case in particular, lift up your eyes to see what's going on around Jesus Christ because that's where the action is. And if we can lift our eyes up to look at Christ and see those things, we will then start to have eyes for other people. We can start to understand and have this reorientation where we have a heart that breaks for the things that break God's heart. And we'll have a will to serve others as he longs to enter into their lives and serve them. Now, this past week, I was out with my eldest son, Sam, for a while as he's looking at some new apartments. And we went to this one downtown, and as the landlord was, was sort of showing us around and trying to sell us on the building, it wasn't very long until the landlord said, you know, it's an adult-only building. There's no kids. And Sam said, perfect. That's great. Now, it's not that Sam doesn't like kids. It's that Sam's 20, and he's not married, and it's, he likes kids, but it's not even on his radar. He's like, my life does not involve kids. It's not the mindset that he's currently in. Now, those of us who, who have had children and go through that young family stage, we know the day will come when Sam's mindset will change when he enters into that young family stage. It'll be a different story. He'll, he'll have acceptance. He'll have tolerance. He'll, he'll have this weird love for the noise and the activity that happens in the chaos of those toddler years. Nadine and I are, are beyond that, as, as Josh is our youngest, who's in grade 12, so we're kind of beyond the younger kid stage, but I remember it. I remember the day that we were in an Edo restaurant with, with two young boys who were really active, and we thought, you know, our goal is to keep them in the booth and to keep them relatively well-behaved. And so when you're at Edo, a Japanese restaurant, we thought, well, we'll give them something to play with, so we gave them chopsticks. What do little boys do with chopsticks? They start drumming, Right? We thought this is perfectly fine. Our tolerance for the noise and the activity of kids was rather high because we're in the young adult stage. We're in the young family stage. However, the lady of Booth over us was not in that stage. And, and she came and expressed herself very loud at how annoying and distracting our children were. She, her mind was not orientated to the right things at that moment as far as we could tell. 
Same thing happens with our mindset towards the things of Jesus. When we have that mindset change within us, we can start to have eyes and hearts and minds that are open to all people. See, see this is what John 3.16 is about, the most famous verse in all Scripture. This is what it's about when, when John writes, For God so loved the world. Well, that word world there refers to all of humanity. It doesn't just refer to those who are in God's kingdom, who are yet amongst the world. He's saying all people, all humanity, those who have been invited to a relationship with God who have not yet accepted those who don't even know the invitation exists yet, the entire world he loves. He loves so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Why? So that whoever believes in him could come in. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. You see, all people that we encounter in your homes, your schools, your work, that you drive by in this community, and the world around you, all people are loved by God. All people have value because they're created in the image of God. All people have some of God's goodness inherently within them. And even if they may live a life before you that doesn't display that value and doesn't display that goodness, it is in there. And they are loved by God to the point where he sent his son to die for them. That is the love that he has. And we know as well that all of us who are in this room, who perhaps have made that profession of faith and have entered into God's kingdom, there was a time when we were more associated with the world in that kingdom than we were with God's kingdom. And while we were in that other kingdom, God still loved us. And what happened? What happened was that we didn't figure it out. We didn't clean ourselves up. What happened is we experienced God's love, and that drew us into a relationship with him, and everything changed in that moment. We experienced God's love, and he adopted us as his children. See, God's desire is for all people, for the whole world to enter into a relationship with him, to become his children, to be in his family, in his kingdom. And if we have a growing heart and mind that is set upon the things of Jesus, we will start to see this. If we have this transformation that's happened within us, that the Bible says happens the moment that we experience God's love and give our life to him and allow his reign to exist in our hearts. When that happens, we start to have eyes to see the people around us the way Jesus sees them. We start to have a longing to know them the way that God wants to know them. And we have this desire, this 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 need within us to seek to care for the needs that exist. Whether that need be to provide community that they're missing, to, to, to be a friend to somebody who's lonely, to, to offer food to somebody who's hungry, to, to get a shoulder to cry on, to be someone to laugh with, to be a friend, to, to lead them to victory over an addiction, over a problem, over their sin, to lead them to a victory through Christ. Whatever it may be, we have the eyes to see them, the desire to know them, and the care to provide that for them. That's why when John also wrote one of his letters in, in, in 1 John 4, he says this. He says, dear friends, since God so loved you, since he so loved us in this manner, we also ought to love one another. When I look at this very simple sentence, it strikes me as an invincible argument that if we ourselves, who perhaps have come to know God's love, who have come to experience it personally, if we've experienced that love of God to us, then, then, then there's no argument, there's no rebuttal to the fact that we, therefore, should be showing love to others. That's the natural outcome, the natural consequence of us having to experience God's love is to love others. And, and the most immediately, this passage refers to those who are within the church family. But we know from Jesus' other teachings and other places that talks about the same principle, it goes beyond just those who are in the kingdom. It goes to the entire world. 
that God loves and died for. It's not just for those who look like us, who talk like us, who, who act or dress like us. It's a love for all people, an unconditional love. It says, I love you where you are. I love you too much to leave you there because we, we can all grow in some area. But I love you where you are. I don't think there's a rebuttal to this command. I'm not sure there's a rebuttal to it because if we've experienced the love of God, we are called to be champions of this love in the world around us. And over the past two and a half years that I've been here as your lead pastor, I can honestly say I have seen a move of West Meadows in this direction. I have seen the church move in this direction and grow for a heart for people who are outside of the worshiping community that is gathered in this room. I have seen a growth in this area, and I am honestly, genuinely, deeply excited to see us continue to move in that direction as we set our minds upon the things of Jesus and upon how he sees and loves the world around us. But Jesus also gave us a caution. He cautioned his followers about a related principle. When he said, you know, whatever your mind is set upon, that is going to have a strong indication on determining what your heart is set upon. You know, when, when, when people struggle to live this out, to live out this love for other people, I don't often think it's because they disagree with the command. I don't think it's because we disagree and we think Jesus was wrong or, or he meant something else. I, I don't, I, sometimes I run into that, but rarely I don't. I, rarely do I run into that. Often I don't. See, more often than not, I think where we struggle to follow through on this is when we find ourselves in this battle that is waging between two kingdoms. Because there are two kingdoms that are waging a battle for your attention, the attention of your heart and of your mind. And Jesus warned us about this. One place we find this is in Luke chapter 12. And it happens at a time in Jesus' ministry where it's pretty much at a high point. Where he's been, he's been ministering and teaching for a while on this one particular time, as Luke 12 tells us in verse 1, that people by the thousands are coming to hear him teach to the point where it says they are trampling each other. They just got to get close to hear, close enough to hear that I can, I can listen to the teacher. And they're trampling each other. And so as Jesus is teaching the thousands, the multitudes that are gathered, at one point there's this man who, who doesn't feel like he's getting his fair cut of the inheritance between him and his brother having this argument. So he interrupts Jesus in the middle of a teaching, and he wants Jesus to settle his dispute. Now you, you read that full account in, in Luke chapter 12 later if you want, but as he, as he gets to the end of that, Jesus points out to this man the problem. And he points out to this, this man who, who was upset with his brother, not given what he determined was his fair share. He says, you know, you're, you're, you're consumed. Your heart and your mind is consumed with greed. That's the issue. Is that that is what your heart and mind is focused upon. It's focused upon greed, upon materialistic, selfish gain. And after he explains that to this man, he then turns to his disciples in, in verse 22. And he turns to his followers and he says, therefore, guys, therefore, in light of the teaching I just gave this guy, he now turns to his disciples and says, I tell you this, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He says, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Now, he's not saying these are bad things. He's not saying these are bad things at all. These are the necessities of life. We all know we need food and clothing and health and shelter and these types of things. He's not saying they're bad things. But as he continues, he starts to draw a contrast between these two kingdoms. Between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of the heavenly. And he does so by talking first about ravens. He says, look at the ravens. 
Now, the people he was speaking to at this time would have known that ravens were unclean animals. If you go back to the Old Testament where there's this list of, of, of laws that were to be followed, there are clean animals and unclean animals. Ravens fell into the unclean animal section. So Jesus is pointing out to his followers going, okay, look at these birds that are like at, at the bottom of the animal scale. They're, they're like way down here on the animal scale. And they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store up food. Yet God provides food for these scavengers. And he draws their attention to the flowers of the field. He says, look at the flowers. They're beautiful, aren't they? Well, today they are. But tomorrow they're going to die. They're going to wilt. They're going to die. And they'll be consumed with fire in a second. That, that's why Nadine doesn't like me to buy her flowers for anniversary and stuff. She's like, well, they're just going to die. So she goes, buy me something that's not going to die. I like diamonds. And so, <laughs> so I buy her flowers. But, <laughs> but So he points out to the fields. And he goes, they're beautiful when they're in bloom. It's, it's like royal clothing for the fields of the earth. He goes, but we've got scavengers and, and momentary, temporary flowers at one level that God cares about. How much higher are you? You who are at the top of the scale. You who have incredible value being created in the image of God. All humanity being created in the image of God. That when God created you, he didn't call you temporary. He didn't call you scavenger. He called you very good when he created you. Therefore, how much more will he care for you when it comes to things that he's pointing out like food and clothing? Does he not love you? Will he not provide these things for you? But in addition to this, Jesus points out a, what concern over these types of things actually leads to. If you read through the whole passage, he keeps saying things like, why do you worry? Do not worry. Do not be afraid. Or why do you have such little faith? Are some of the words he uses as he uses these analogies. Now you need to keep this in mind. He's speaking at this time to, uh, to simple folk. To a lot of merchants and farmers and craftsmen. People who legitimately did not know, when I wake up tomorrow, will I be able to feed my family? That was a daily concern that the people who were sitting before him had. And so as he's telling them, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there, and he's got it, is what he's saying to them. And could you imagine the worry that was going through their minds, that, that daily grind of when you wake up, your eyes open, and when the first thing that hits your heart is worry, am I going to make any money today? Will I come home with bread at the end of the day? Will I be able to provide for my family today? And if you put yourself in the situation of these people who are listening to Jesus teach in this moment, you can imagine that every day you woke up, you were faced with a choice. Do I place my faith in God, or do I get up and I grab life by the horns, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to control it, I'm going to make it happen, and I am going to make a go of this. And it narrows your focus upon what you can do yourself. How frustrating. How frustrating it is when life reveals to all of us that there are some things we can't control. How, how demoralizing it is when we find out there are situations and events that will come to all of us that it doesn't matter how strongly we grab those horns of life, we will not be able to overwin, or overcome and win on our own strength. And so he's saying to them, don't worry about it. You have a Father in heaven. Now I doubt if there are very many, if anybody in this room who has a genuine worry to this level about food, shelter, and clothing. There may be, and we can help you if you do. But I think all of us in this room do know what it feels like to wake up with worry, fear, and doubt. We do know those feelings. The worry, the fear, and the doubt. 
the stress that comes from, from not being in control. I, I, I can't control the events of my life. I, I can't control the actions of others. I, I'm not in control of the outcome of a situation or changes happening around me at work or in my school or politically in the province or even in the church. There's this, this change that's happening and I can't control it and it leads to stress. We all know anxiety, this sense of unknown, what is going to happen in the unknown, this waiting for a diagnosis, not sure are things going to get better or are things going to get worse. There's this moment of anxiety from the unknown. We also know doubt, where we're not sure if we're going to make it through. We're, we're not sure if promises that other people have met are going to be kept. And sometimes when we allow the anxiety, when we allow the stress, when we allow the doubt to build up, it leads to the thought, well, what if God doesn't show up? What if God's promises aren't true? See, when we, met our, when we set our mind upon the things of the kingdom of this world, we begin to have these experiences more so than other situations. We begin to have the stress, the anxiety, the doubt. We begin to doubt God's promises. Sometimes when people talk about these things, the worry, the fear, and the doubt, they'll chalk it up to an absence of faith. I understand that definition of it being an absence of faith. I think there's a better definition of it, though. When we are, when we are trapped in worry, fear, and doubt, I don't think it's an absence of faith. I think it's actually faith in the wrong things. I think it's that we put faith in ourselves instead of faith in God. We put faith in the negative outcome that we've determined is going to happen as opposed to the positive outcome or the promise that we've had. It's not that we've lost faith. It's that we've shifted. We've reorientated our focus and our faith to other things. And God is saying, set your mind, set your eyes to the things above. That's where they need to be. When we have that shifting of faith, we have that narrowing of focus that takes place. We have our eyes to the ground. We are absorbed with the immediate problem in front of us. And so Jesus says this in verse 29 of Luke 12. He says, do not set your heart upon what you will eat or drink. It's, it's just a way of saying, he's saying eat and drink is the immediate concern for these folks here. But what he's saying is do not set your mind upon the things of this world, the materialistic consumer type things of this world. Don't worry about it. For the pagans are the ones who run after such things. The word pagan here is, is a word translated from a phrase in the original Greek, and that Greek phrase actually is nation of the world. You can also understand that as kingdom of the world. People who live in the kingdom of the world follow after, chase after such things. They go through life with this lack of awareness of God's presence around them. They scurry after, and they worry about what can we accumulate? What can we achieve? What do I deserve in light of the good things that I have done? What is going to make me comfortable? What is my preference? These things happen in the kingdom of the world. And we know that sometimes these tendencies that happen in that world can seep their way even into the church. And we can have this challenge within our hearts and our minds at times that we start having some of the same questions. What can I accomplish within the church for my own sake? What do I deserve for the years of service I've put in? What will make me comfortable? What are my preferences? Those are some attitudes that come into to all of us from time to time in different situations and can even exist within the church. But here's the thing. We do not belong to that kingdom. We have been raised with Christ. And if we are raised with Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom that we belong to. And so Jesus continues the thought when he says, your father in heaven knows you need these things. But seek first his kingdom. And then these things will be given to you as well. It's not that we seek after bad things. The problem is when we allow ourselves to be consumed by secondary things, by second things. For the follower of Jesus Christ, if our minds are set upon the things of God, if we, 
are allowing ourselves to be consumed by the things of this world, such as comfort, security, our personal preferences, what that does is it actually steals time and it steals focus and it steals our efforts from the things of God. C.S. Lewis famously described it this way. He said, put first things first and you get second things thrown in. But put second things first and we lose both first and second. It's like brushing your teeth and drinking orange juice. Both are good, but order matters. Right? Both are good, but order matters. And you get the order backwards, both are terrible. Jesus taught this himself as well in another teaching when he was gathered before a crowd and some Pharisees came to, tr to try and trip him, try to trick him. And they asked him the question, one of these first and second type questions. They said, Jesus, what is the first law? What is the greatest law? And this might be a familiar verse to a lot of people. You remember what he said? He said in Matthew 22, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is first things. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Most religions of the world have a variation of this. Some, some sort of mantra that talks about loving others as yourself. It's not an original thought necessarily. There's a lot of people who live by this mantra that we will seek to do good for other people. We'll, we'll, we'll seek to serve others. We'll do good. We'll accomplish much for the sake of humanity. And, and I have no interest in kind of squashing those, those efforts and, and those services to other people that takes place in our world. From a Christian perspective, however, those things are second things. Not optional. Jesus clearly commands us to, to love other people. That's a clear command. So it's not an optional thing, but it's a second thing. Now, that might be hard to accept, but, but I mention that because when we talk about second things, we're not talking here about dichotomies between good and bad. It's not always a choice between there's good first things and bad second things. What do you do when both first and second are very good? Priority matters. And here Jesus says, both of these are very good. Both of these are vitally important. But one is first. Love for God is first. Why? Because when we have this love for God, when we build into this vertical relationship between us and God, we tap into the source of true love. We tap into the true motivation for love. We tap into the highest example of love that was ever known, ever described, as God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins upon the cross. We tap into that. And as we experience that, are transformed by that, are motivated by that, we have an outpouring from that through which we can then go forth in love. So there is a difference. Both are good, but first things are first. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be given to you as well. And this winter, as we move through this mission, vision, value series, we will be continuing to talk about how the kingdom of God is the first thing that we are to seek. And I believe all else will follow suit if that is where our motivation and where our hearts and our minds are set upon. So as we begin to get ready for the kingdom, let's set our minds upon it. I want to close today with two questions for you. First of all, I leave you with this question to reflect upon. As you look back upon your past week, what was your mind set upon? Was it upon first things or second things? Had you allowed second things to become first things? If you're honest, if you say, you know, I've allowed second things to become first things, if you're honest about that, I can tell you you're not alone. That 
you've probably had a past few days where you've been consumed with the things of this world, and it may even have led you to a point of experiencing this worry, this, this fear, and this doubt. If that was the case, I ask you the follow-up question. If you were consumed with those things, how much time did you have? How much opportunity did you have for the things of God? Or if you look back and go, you know what? I was concerned about these things, and they whittled away the time and the energy and the efforts I could have had towards God's kingdom. This last week for myself has been a rough one. There's just some things going on, and, and I've had some personal challenges working through. I've been consumed by worry at some points. And through all my worry, I thought, I'm going to take control. I'm going to grab this by the horns, and I'm going to work this out, and I'm going to fix it. And in the end, I resolved very little, if I'm honest. But what I did end up affecting was that it affected relationship with others. I didn't have as much time for prayer this week as I do on other weeks. I got a day or two behind on my Bible reading. It started to have an effect upon the first things. It started to whittle away at it because I was consumed by second things becoming first things. And I started to lose God. So if you find yourself in that situation, what would it look like as the week ahead? As we look forward now, what would it look like to put things in the proper order? To hit that recalibrate button, that reorientation button, that rerouting button, to lift our eyes upon Jesus and to set our minds upon the things above, to trust in our Heavenly Father and to know that He loves you. The psalmist said it this way. He says, I lift my eyes up. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Why? Because that's where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That is where our help comes from. But perhaps as you reflect upon this past week, you think it's not so much a reflection of the past week as I look about my past as my life. I've never accepted that invitation to come into the kingdom of God. And so I have a question for you then. Have you ever set your heart upon the things above at any point in your life? Or have you always lived in a kingdom of your own making? No, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God near to you. He brought it near to you so that it could reside within you. From the time of, of the sending of Jesus to be with us, to his teachings and his miracles, it was about the revealing of God's kingdom, about revealing the life that we were made to have and to live. And Jesus' mind was set upon the things above as he went to the cross to pay the price for our sins, the, the sins, those things that separate us from God, that prevent us from having that relationship. Jesus' mind was set upon the things above as he went and paid that price that we could be in relationship with God forever. You know, it seemed like foolishness to the people of that day. And to some people of this day, it seems like foolishness as well. Until you come to experience it. Until you allow yourself to open up and to understand that God's love is not just an idea, it's a reality that can exist, not just around us, but within us. And then it ceases to be the foolishness. And it's promised in Scripture that anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame, will never be made a fool. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you find yourself at a point in either of those questions where you'd like to pray with somebody today, we'll have people at the front here who will pray with you following the service. Come talk to myself as well. I'd be more than happy to pray with you and to walk through some of these things. But as we leave that part of the service here for today, I just ask if you would, if you would rise and join me in a closing word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son that you sent him to, to reveal the kingdom, to, to show us the life that we were created to live and that you made a way for that to become reality within us. Lord, for those who may be among us here who have never taken that step of faith, I pray, God, that, that the spirit with, that is among us right now 
would just be prompting them to say, this is what you've been searching for. This is the emptiness that needs to be filled, and this is the means by which it is. It is not of the things of this world, but it is the things that are above, that have come down to us. God, I pray for those people that we would be able to encounter them and, and, and take a walk with them and talk more about this. For those of us who are here, Lord, who are maybe consumed by some of the fear, the worry, or the doubts, I pray, God, that tomorrow would be a new day. That tomorrow would be a day of lifting up our, our eyes to the things of Jesus. That we would experience in a fresh and a new way the promises of God that are true, that are for us, because he loves us and he is with us and he longs to walk with us. Jesus, we thank you that we can trust in these promises, that they are true, that you are with us, and that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name.